Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. Today, um, we're going to be spending some time in John chapter 12. If you've got your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, if you have a, a phone and you've got the Bible app and you'd like to follow along, if you'd like to be in us with our text, we're going to be in John chapter 12 this morning. This week, we're continuing our series first, and we're talking about what it means for us to live with an understanding that God is first in our lives, that God wants to be first. That in fact, it's not just that God wants to be first, but that God commands us to put him first. And last week we talked about how all the way back in the book of Exodus, God says that the first of everything is mine. And, but he makes a promise that goes along with it. He says, the first of everything is mine. But what we saw was how when we give God the first, it changes the rest. That when we give God our first, it blesses the rest. That God doesn't just say, give it to me, it's mine, now go away. But he says, when we act and step out in faithfulness and give God what he's asked for, that God then says, and I will bless you as, you as you do that. And we talked about the difference it can make on ourselves and our lives when, when we make the choice to acknowledge God as first in every area of our life. Now this week we're going to look at John chapter 12. And in this passage we get this amazing picture of what it looks like for somebody to give everything they have to God, to place God first in their lives, what it looks like for us to make the choice to put God in a place where other people might say, are you crazy? But we also get this picture of, of the other side of that, of people looking and, and, and sometimes maybe something we can identify a little bit too much with, but where people say, that, that's too far, that's, that's too, too much. What a, a picture of what it looks like when we, we claim to have Jesus in the first place in our lives. But, but maybe the fruit of that looks, looks a little different. So in John chapter 1 verse 12 it will say this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Now I just want to pause, pause here for a moment. Because if, you, if you're new to church... Or if you're new to the Bible, um, I just want to let you know, this is a thing. Uh, you don't, I don't just stand up here and, and talk about who, what God used to do and who God used to be and all these amazing things that, that God used to do. But as I stand up here and talk to you about God, I talk to you about a God who can and does amazing things. A God who can raise things from the dead. A God who can raise your marriage from the dead. A God who can raise your finances from the dead. A God who can raise your life from the dead. A God who can heal you. This is a God whom we serve. As we read about, you know, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That should get us excited. 
that should serve as a reminder in our lives of like, right, this is the God who am I? Gee, he raised Lazarus from the dead. This should get us excited. We should read that and just be, whoa, right, this is the God whom I'm, I'm serving. We don't think to ourselves, wow, it's so cool that God used to do that. It's so cool that he used to do things like that. If only I had been alive back then to be able to see God do something like that. Isn't that awesome? I wish. But it fills us with hope. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so as we read, you know, this footnote that we could have just breezed past, whom Jesus raised from the dead, we can take a minute and rejoice and celebrate in that moment because that's the God whom we serve. And so if you're here thinking, I could really use some of that God in my life, know today that that's the God who, who we serve. That's the God whom you serve. He's a God who raises the dead to life. So verse 2. Here, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. You raise somebody from, a, from the dead, they throw you a party. That's, that, that's, that's what we can say. Jesus raised him from the And so they're giving him a dinner in Jesus' honor. And it says that, that Martha served while Lazarus was among them. Among those reclining at the table. We're going to come back to that in a moment. The, the, that sentence that we just read there. That Lazarus was among them reclining, resting at the table. Verse 3. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard. An expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, that sounds really weird to us. That, that sounds like a really, that's a strange, strange scene. She, she poured out perfume and, and wiped it up with her hair. In, in our world, I've never seen it. And I don't expect to see it. In fact, if, if you invite me over for dinner... Please don't do that. And if, if you are ever coming to our house for dinner, don't expect that. And there's multiple reasons why I can say, don't expect me to wipe your feet with my hair. Um, because God has removed my ability to do that. I can wipe your feet with my scalp, but it's not going to be a gentle process for anybody. A little bit on the side, maybe. But... But, but in this world, when you entered into someone's house, your feet were probably a mess. It's dusty. It's dirty. If you remember, they live essentially in, in a desert. You're, you're probably wearing the not best pair of shoes. So your feet, they're dirty and dusty. And so what would happen is this, is, is if you were able to have a servant who would, that what they would do as the people would enter into their home, that they would clean their feet and they would wipe them with dry with, with their hair. The, the reason for this is because towels aren't free. And, and they're pretty uncommon. But your servant's hair? Well, that's free. And it's common. So this was actually like a cultural practice. Like It's not just this bizarre thing that this woman came up with and did this really weird thing. We look at it and we go, oh, that's weird. But for them back then, there was more of like this, this was a thing that people did. That it wasn't everyone else in the room was just really weirded out by all of this. It was confusing to be sure because Mary wasn't a servant and that wasn't her role in life. But to, just to know and understand that it's not the most weird thing that we've ever read. 
But verse, verse will continue to say, And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Verse 4 will say, But. And just a little piece of advice here. Um, when you're reading the Bible, and I pray that you are, look for the word but. The buts in the Bible will always lead you, or at least will, to fulfill and follow the things of God. That when the word but shows up, it's an important word because it often will lead to a very significant point. And so what we read here is, but one of his disciples, and this is a significant point and moment in this story, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And we're going to come back again to this moment as well because there's something really profound that we'll need to, to understand about what Judas says here and how often, often, often we end up and we can do the same thing in our own lives. But let's keep reading. Verse, chapter, or verse 6 will say, He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Verse 7, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom, whom he had raised from the dead. Remember, this is something God, God does. Verse 10, so the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. That's messed up. <laughs> Everybody's here because this guy has been raised from the dead. And the, the, the chief priest's response is, let's kill him too. That, that's messed up. That, that is some weird thinking. Ver, verse 11, we find out why. Verse 11, for on account of him, Many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. It's the only way to get rid of the, the rumor that Lazarus has been raised from the dead is to put him back there. And so what we have here, and what I want to draw out for you from this text today, is there's two spirits at work. There, there's two hearts. There's two postures. There's two ways of living and viewing the world inside this story. The, the first is the spirit of generosity. And that's... That's what Mary had. And the second, the spirit of reluctance. And that's, that's what Judas had. And I think that, that these two spirits, are, are the, these two ideas, these two concepts, these two ways of viewing the world, are, are, they are at work in us. The same way they're at work in this story, they're, they're at work at us and in this, us in this room, those of us watching online, and for our stuff, for our lives, for everything into God. When, when it comes to our time, when it comes to our talents, when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our gifts, when it comes to our lives, there's these two diametrically opposed heart spirits that we can live out of. We will either use them from a place of generosity or we will hold on to them and, and, use, and not use them from a place of reluctance. Now, now let's look at this for a minute. Mary poured out perfume made of nard. Whatever nard is, uh, it must smell good. We get that told that the house smelled like nard and it was a pleasant smell. 
And it must smell really good. Because do you remember how much Judas said it was worth? A year's wages. You don't need to answer this, but just, just think about it. Um, what's your year's wage? What do you make in a year? Money. money. Yeah, that's right. How much money do we make? Do you make $20,000 a year? $30,000 a year? Sixty? dollars $150,000? $500,000? What, what, what do you make in a year? What does your, your salary look like? For a year, the, the median income in Alberta is, is about $75,000 or so. So let's just use that as a number. $75,000. Now take $75,000 or, or whatever your, your median income is, if you know that. Put it in a jar. And pour it all out over somebody's feet. Who does that? Who does? I've never, I don't own anything other than perhaps my house that's worth that amount of money. But if I did, if I made a list of the things I was planning on doing with it, pouring it out on somebody's feet is probably not going to make the list. I'm not even going to say it's not going to be at the top. It's probably not on the list. But that's what Mary does. This bottle of nard worth an entire year's wages. And she just pours it out. Now, if we think about that in the context of our own lives, if you think about that in the context of of your life, or I think about that in the context of my life, no way. I couldn't do that. In fact, it would probably be a stupid decision. I don't have money to waste like that. I can't afford that. But in this moment, Mary's heart is overflowing with generosity. And we're going to talk about in a little bit why this moment was so significant for her. It's, It's in this moment we see this incredible, overwhelming picture of generosity that that when we put it into our terms, when when I begin to think about this in the context of what it means when something is a year's wages, I just cannot fathom it. And I, I read the story, but I cannot apply it to my own life because I don't even know what it would look like to do that. If I cobbled together all the balances we have on credit cards and and all of the lines of credit and whatever cash we've got squirreled away and whatever is in our checking account and we just drained it all in all of our savings and took the money that my grandma had given to my kids for their inheritance and lumped all of that together, we might be able to scrape together enough money to almost be a year's worth of salary and then just give it away? No, we can't do that. But Mary can, and and Mary does. But in this moment, there's there's another spirit, there's another thought process, there's another view that's taking place here. And, And while what Mary does may be difficult for us to identify with. Uh, This other other way of viewing the world, maybe, maybe not so much. 
Judas sees what's happening here and he, he's got a problem with it. He says, why wasn't this money or why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. The money that, that this perfume represents could have done so much more than just dumped out on some guy's feet. Think of all the good that could have come from that kind of money. Think of all the good that, that could have been done. And now, this gesture's taken place, and there's a year's wages just laying on the floor. We can't clean it up. We can't get it back in the bottle. It's been all over his feet. It's dirty now. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Judas, he's right. He's 100% right. It was a year's wages. Do you know how much the food bank in Airdrie could do with whatever it is that you make in a year? Do you know how much good that if we brought, if we all collectively collected one year's wage from all of us and, and we brought it to the Airdrie Food Bank, their minds would be blown. They'd probably name it after our church or something. It would be the most incredible gift. Do you know how many people they could feed if we did that? Judas was right. But, but this is what we need to understand about the tricks and the tactics of the enemy. See, the enemy will never come to you and tell you, you should be selfish. The enemy, he, the enemy will never come to you and tell you, just keep it all for yourself. See, the enemy doesn't come to us and just tell us to do the wrong thing. Because if he did, we'd be really good at figuring it out. He doesn't come to you and say, be a jerk to them. He doesn't come to you and say, you know what would be funny? Lie to them. He, he doesn't come to us like that. He comes to you the same way that Judas comes here. He comes to you with something that's true but misses the point. See, Judas was right, but he missed the point. See, when, when something happens in our lives and the enemy comes to us and says, you should be mad at them. You should be angry with them. You should yell at them. You should be angry. It's not because they did something right, but the enemy says, you know, you shouldn't be treated like that. So you treat them like that. You deserve, you shouldn't have to give that up. You deserve it. You worked hard for it. You keep it. Telling the truth costs more than just maybe telling a lie. You're really sparing them. See, he comes with something that sounds like the truth, but just misses the point. You, you cannot afford to give up that kind of time. You are already so tired. 
See, you, you can't afford to do something like that for the church. Think of all that you could get done in your own life, in your own home instead. You, you can't afford to give money to the church, even though God promised he would provide for you. Do you know how tight things are already? Do, do you know what you could do with that money instead? Do you know what your family could do? See, reluctance in our lives, it doesn't come in the form of the unjustifiable. It doesn't come from a place where, where somehow it doesn't make sense because that's not much of a temptation. You know, when Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days and, and, and the devil comes to tempt him and he's been fasting and hasn't eaten for 40 days, what's the first temptation he brings to Jesus? Food. If I haven't eaten for 40 days, if I haven't eaten for a morning, do you know what a good temptation would be? Food. He doesn't come to him and be like, hey, Jesus, want a sports car? You'll be the only one who's got one. He comes and it will even say, he came to her after, at the end of the 40 days, Jesus was hungry. See, the, the tricks, the tactics that the enemy gets to us to fall into his traps, they're not off-the-wall nothingness. He knows what he's doing. It's right. It makes sense. He doesn't come as a wolf. He comes as a wolf in sheep's clothing to try and get it to make sense. See, Jesus wants us to be generous. Scripture will tell us that, that we were created in the image of God. God didn't put his image in us for us to represent him with reluctance. You've been given the spirit of God. God didn't put his spirit into you for us to be reluctant. But I think that as we grow in our relationship with God, we, we always need to be finding and rooting out in our lives the places where we're reluctant with God. Because it changes. It shifts. It moves. What, what used to be a struggle where, where I would say, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. That may not be a struggle anymore. But in my life, what is a struggle may be different now. You know, I, I used to... Many years ago now, I used, I used to lead the youth group here. And there was a period where we almost had like two youth groups. Because a lot of the older kids and youth, they, they had started to get jobs and, and things like that. So we, we'd have youth group from like 7 till 9 at the church. But at like 9, 9.30, there was like this whole influx of other kids that would show up because they had jobs. And I, we, we would end up being at the church from like 6 o'clock getting ready till like midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning. Because we loved the kids and it was fun. Don't try that now. <laughs> no, sorry. I, I love every single one of you and I am not staying up with, till 1 o'clock with you just for fun. I'll stay up with you if you need it. If you need somebody to talk to, I am always available. But if what you want to talk about is how was your day, it's fine. 
what, what's, what can be a place of, of joy can turn into a place of reluctance. And what can be a place of reluctance can turn into a place of joy. And sometimes that even becomes a challenge because we can see the growth in our lives and we, we hang our hats on it. And we'd be like, I used to struggle so much with this, but now look how much I've grown. And we get, can get sidetracked by that and not perhaps see some of the places where we've become reluctant. And all this comes down to, to our view of God, that, that we serve a God that's generous. That we serve a God that, that he can protect us, that, that he can guide us, that, that he wants what's best for us. And more than that, he knows what's best for us. That the things that he's asked us to do, they will lead us to what's best for us. That if we understand that this is who God is, and then when God asks us to do something, we have a choice as to whether or not we still think that's what's true about God, or if now I know what's better than God. So when we look at what God has said to us, what, what God has called us to do, what, what God has called us to give, what God has called us to be, when we read that God has called us to, to give of ourselves, that Jesus will say, it's better to give than to receive. When we read that he's called us to give of our time, to give of our talent, to give of our treasure, to give of who we are to his kingdom, to his service... Do we really believe that God wants what's best for us? That he knows that actually this is what's best for us. And by doing this and by listening to what God has to say, it will actually lead us to what's best for us. So sometimes God pokes us in the right place and, and it hurts. Sometimes God will poke us in our calendar, and, and it'll hurt. Sometimes God will, will poke us in our wallet, and it'll hurt. Sometimes God will poke us in, in how we see ourselves, and it'll hurt. Sometimes God will give us a little poke, a little nudge, and say, hey, remember when we talked? Remember this thing? Yeah, I need to remind you about that. And it, and it hurts just a little. Or it hurts us a lot. But sometimes what happens is God gives us this little poke. And suddenly we're not so sure that we really think that God knows what's best for us anymore. That I believe God knows what's best for me unless he asks more than I think he should. And then I think maybe he's lost it a little bit. Maybe he forgot who he's talking to. Now, as, as we've mentioned and, and broached and, and the word has come up, the word finances, we've talked about that. The, the pastor mentions money. And, and sometimes that's all somebody needs to hear. Well, sometimes that's all somebody needs to hear in order to turn out, tune out. You know, oh, money. Oh, never mind. But just like we talked about last week, putting God first in our lives means putting God first every, everywhere. See, God wants us to be generous with our lives. God wants us to be generous 
with our talents. God wants us to be generous with our skills. We had, as we were moving the last couple of days, we, we had so many people come by and, and do all kinds of amazing things to help us. Not everybody did the same thing. Some people came and cleaned. Some people came and helped us move stuff. Some people came and helped us unpack. Some people came by and brought donuts. Some people came by and did all kinds of different things. God wants us to be generous with who we are. God wants us to be generous with our grace. God wants us to be generous with our words. Could you imagine the power of just sending someone a text message of something nice just because but if as a church as a body of believers if, if we could put into practice just sending each other text messages just to say I hope you're having a good day hey I'm thinking about you we were um, this morning singing goodness of God and um, sometimes, I don't know if this is the same for you or not, um, but sometimes you have like songs and you can only hear one person singing it, even if whoever's singing it. Like when Pastor Matt sings Goodness of God, I don't hear Pastor Matt singing Goodness of God. I, I hear my friend, her name's Zoe, um, and she sings that song. And I think she was the first one I ever heard sing it, but she, it like is just ingrained in my mind. So I sent her a little message during church this morning, just saying, hey, just so you know, they're, they're pastors, they're church up in Yukon. They were having church at the same time. But I sent her, she was actually leading worship this morning, but I just sent her a message saying, hey, we're singing this song. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Could you imagine if we did that to each other on the regular? Like just as I'm driving down the street and I know what street Tom and Janice live on and I'm kind of near there and I just think, hey Tom, just thinking about you. If we could be generous with our words, generous with our characters on our phone. We live in a dark enough world. We live in a world where people are, are so vocal about what's wrong. We live in criticism enough. Imagine if we were generous in our words with the world around us. Imagine if we were generous with the kindness of our words. Now, it's so much more than finances. But it is about finances. It, it is. It, no, no matter what you may be thinking, it is. But it's more than that. You see, there, there's so much talent in these seats. There's so much talent in you. You are amazing. You have so much. One of the things that I, I like to say is there is a U-shaped hole here at our church. There is a place in our church that God has designed for you to fill. And for everybody it looks different, but it's shaped just like you. And the only one who can fill it, it's you. You are so talented. You are so amazing. God has called us to be generous with ourselves. There are kids who need your love. There are people walking through these doors for the very first time that need your smile. There are people who need you to make all the lights and the sound happen. There are people who need you and your church needs you and God needs you and God created you for all of that. For you to be generous with your time, be generous with your talents, be generous with your gifts, be generous with your money. 
And the reason why I keep coming back to that this morning is because I think that for most people, the hardest bridge to cross, that I can be generous with a whole bunch of things, but to give our money to God, to be generous with our finances, to trust God's promises in this area of our lives, to move past the, the place of reluctance in our lives is probably the most difficult thing that we will ever do. And this is one of the greatest grieving moments for me as a pastor. And it has nothing to do with how much money the church receives. It has nothing to do with that. But it's because I know that for so many of us, we live in such a difficult place with our finances that just tells us I can't. I can't. I can't trust God. It's not because the church needs a bigger budget or a bigger building. That's it's not where my heart is. That's not my fantasy. That's, that's not my dream. It grieves me because I want freedom in our lives. I want us to live free. Jesus died on the cross so we could be free. And, and that means freedom in all areas of our lives. That's, that's freedom from bondage to addiction. That's freedom from bondage to, to, to depressions. That's freedom from bondness of, of anxiety. That's freedom from bondness to anything, including a, a, a Bondage that comes from fear of finances. It's freedom from bondage to reluctance. I want us to be free and included in that. And, and really, for many of us, the last stronghold, the last vestige that the enemy can build up in our lives is reluctance about finances. I want to close by jumping back into the story of Mary and Jesus and Martha and Judas and all of that from, from John chapter 12. But I want to highlight the chapter before John chapter 12, just as we close. If you want to look at John chapter 11, you don't really need to look there, but I'm going to give you, you can, obviously. <laughs> but... I'm going to give you just kind of like a Cliff Notes version of it. But, but John chapter 11 is all about Jesus and Lazarus. This takes place about a month before the dinner in John chapter 12. John chapter 11 begins, we find out, that one of Jesus' dearest, most closest friends, Lazarus, is sick. And as John chapter 11 continues, we discover that, that he dies and Jesus shows up to the place where Lazarus is dead. And scripture will say that he's been dead for four days. And we have this, this incredible scene where Mary and Martha, who we read about at the beginning of the service, they're crushed. They're heartbroken. Because their brother has died. And we see that, 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 
They're angry at Jesus. They won't even come out to talk to Jesus because they're brothers and they're grieving. It's the loss of their brother. And then we have this moment where Jesus says to, to roll the stone away. And Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And he does. He's been dead for four days. And he comes walking out of the grave. Now one month later, we come back to John chapter 12. And see, Mary was Lazarus' sister. Her brother had died. And one month later, she's having dinner with him. One month later, she's sitting across the table from her dead brother. And over to her right, let's say, it's the man who raised him from the dead. Think about that for a moment. What a moment that must be to have the weight of this incredible, most beautiful moment that a handful of people may have gotten to experience where she's sitting having dinner with her brother who died. She takes a moment, she watches, she's so overcome with joy and gratefulness that the only thing she can think of is what is undoubtedly the most expensive thing she owns. A perfume. It's worth, for us, $75,000. It's worth a year's wages. And as she's overcome by the emotion of this incredible moment, she begins to pour it out on the feet of the man who raised her brother from the dead. Not because she wanted to waste it. Not because this perfume or the money from it couldn't have been used for something better. But because her heart was so overwhelmed with gratitude and gratefulness in this moment of watching her brother have dinner. The moment that we allow ourselves to be overcome with the overwhelming sense of gratitude and gratefulness, the moment that we allow the living hope that we talked about, that we sang about, to impact our lives is the moment that our heart of generosity towards God is born. A generous heart comes from a grateful heart. Your gifts, your talents, 
your joy, your finances, you realize he's all worth it. He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of everything. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we've taken time this morning to remember your sacrifice. We've taken time to remember what took place on Good Friday, what took place on Easter Sunday, what took place with your death on the cross. And God, I thank you that your word will tell us that, that you endured the cross and you scorned its shame for the joy that was set before you. And God, I thank you that as we talk about the joy that was set before you, God, the faces of all of these people gathered together today come across your mind. Who was the joy? What was the joy set before you? God, I thank you that your joy was me. I thank you that your joy was each one who names the name of Christ. That your joy was us. And that it was for us. That you endured the cross, scorning its shame. And so God, I pray that as you were able to give everything up for us, God, may we not allow a spirit of reluctance. May, may we not allow a spirit of, 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 of reluctance, a, a heart of reluctance, a, a way of viewing the world of reluctance to stand in between us and giving you all of us. God, we offer ourselves to you. We give ourselves over to you. God, we say, I am yours. And God, we really want to mean it. And so God, I pray for each one of us that are gathered here today that, that maybe as we're talking about this and maybe as we, we talked about you poking us, maybe some of us are receiving a poke this morning of an area in our lives that, that we haven't quite handed over to you. God, and don't allow us to be limited to, to well, was it finances or not? God, it can be anything, it can be anywhere. And God, I pray that for us, as we may be receiving a poke from you today, God, may we be set free this morning. God, may there be freedom in this place this morning. God, for the lives of those touched by reluctance, for the lives of those who are in bondage in something in some way, God, may there be freedom in the house of the Lord this morning. May people walk from this place coming in in bondage. May they leave in freedom. God, your word will tell us it's for freedom you've set us free. And so God, I pray for my friends. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself. God, in the name of Jesus, we pray for freedom. In this place today, God, cause us to live with generosity. God, cause us to live with a heart that says to you, God, what you have of me, it's yours. God, allow us to run free. Allow us to be free today to worship you, to love you, to receive from you, to live for you, to impact our, our, our lives, to impact our, our work, our neighborhoods, our cities, our communities. God, to impact our world for you. God, we need to be free. So God, set us free today. In the name of Jesus, set us free. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful for your work in our lives. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. This family we go. Whatever I like, you make it up. Your yoke is.